I hope you guys enjoy uh, being here. I love coming to church. I love worshiping. I love meeting new friends and, and deepening the friendships with the brothers and sisters that, uh, that are here. And um, I was thinking today, as I heard uh, Bobby share uh, about the skating ministry and heard Bruce kind of talk about all the things that God is doing, and there really are so many things. It's just, uh, it's just a, a string of miracles, a string of divine appointments. It's just, it's an adventure. It's an absolute adventure being a Christian. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, there are times in my life where it hasn't been an adventure. It's been kind of monotonous. It's been kind of humdrum. It's been uh, more of the same and not very exciting, and it's been very tempting to want to find other things to find fulfillment in. And I want to share with you, if that's where you are right now, that's not where God wants you to be. There's something not right. There's something not right when we're not living the adventure. And it's not with God. God is never the problem. It's us. Somehow we've drifted. Somehow we've become consumed with other things. Somehow we have lost sight of the vision and the joy and the excitement of being a believer. Because if you're walking with the Lord and filled with the Spirit and keeping in step with the, the ministry that God has for you, it's a total adventure. It's, a, it's nonstop miracles. It doesn't mean that you don't have times where it's kind of a little slow here and there and God just calls you to be faithful even though you're not feeling anything. But I want to encourage you as Christians that if you have those stretches for long periods of time, it may be that something's not right. And I just share that with you before we even get into the message today because I want you to experience it. You know, I want you to walk in it. I want you to live it. I want you to know it. Because it's for that purpose of this adventure that at least part of it is part of for the adventure of knowing God. It's part of the purpose. Ultimately, it's all about the glory of God. But God absolutely delights and enjoys and takes intense, extreme pleasure in allowing you to experience the adventure of the Christian life being used by him. And so if that's not happening for you, I just ask you today to, to cry out to God and say, God, something isn't right in my life. Show me what it is so that I can walk with you and experience the abundant life that you've promised through your son. Well, part of that abundant life is, is heaven. And we've been talking about heaven for the last three or four weeks now. And uh, last week, if you were here, uh, uh, I didn't get through my message. I only got through half of last week's message. So I'm going to pick up the second half this week as we're talking about our new life on a redeemed and recreated earth. And uh, we've talked extensively about the fact that uh, heaven is not one particular location. Uh, the Bible actually talks about three locations for where the dead go, the dead believer go, the dead believers go. In the Old Testament, they went to Abraham's bosom and Sheol. In the, in the New Testament, and ever since the resurrection of Christ, anyone that dies is absent from the body, is present with the Lord in the third heaven or paradise. And that's somewhere beyond the stars and the, and the sun and the moon. We're not sure where it is, but it's beyond our present uh, system here of, of uh, looking at, at our atmosphere. It's beyond that, beyond the stars and the sun and the, and the moon. And somewhere beyond that, in the heavens of heavens, is where Christ is seated, ruling and reigning with God the Father. And the saints are bowing down and they're worshiping him. But they're also waiting for the redemption of the world and the redemption of their bodies. And that hasn't happened. And it won't happen until the coming of Christ. And then we talked about the final resting place, and it's really not a resting place, the final activity place of believers, and that's going to be on a restored, redeemed, renewed, refreshed planet Earth. And it's been exciting over the last few weeks to talk about that, that adventure that we're going to have here on planet Earth, and, uh, and it's remarkable. Um, and I wish I, I'm tempted to go back, but we don't have time, so we're going to go forward. Let me do uh, briefly review what we talked about last week. We talked about the conditions on the new earth, the overall conditions. We are going to be returned to a pre-flood climate. We will have pre-flood hydrology. We will also uh, uh, have no more sea. We talked about that. Surfers, uh, be, be uh, rejoicing. We're going to be in fresh water. Um, Pre-fall productivity, where uh, life is going to be easy. Every little tiny effort you put out, you will be rewarded with enormous fruit. There will never be failure again. You will never take a risk and, and fall short ever again. It's going to be an unbelievable life. We talked about the pre-animal life uh, condition or pre-fall animal life conditions that we'll experience again. And then we talked about the biological changes that will take place. We talked about our glorified bodies that God is going to give us. Uh, they will be physical uh, we'll be able to eat and drink and walk and, and uh, have fellowship and talk and work. 
Our bodies will be recognizable. Uh, they will be made completely whole. So whatever defects you think you have, and everybody here thinks they could probably look a little better, uh, we'd change a few things about ourselves if we had a choice. You know, those things that you blamed your mom and dad for, for genetically passing on to you, you're going to be okay with because God is going to make you absolutely perfect and in complete proportion as you should be in the kingdom to come. You will maintain your identity. You're not going to be just kind of a mass of, of souls, uh, just one of many, but you will maintain your identity along with all of the memories that you've had of life on earth, and you're going to have capabilities that will blow you away. And the person that we looked at in, in, um, in particular in relationship to this new glorified body is Jesus Christ after his death and resurrection. So we found that there are uh, just really dozens and dozens of clues for us as believers as to what this new experience of this newly created world will be with glorified, redeemed bodies. It's going to be a remarkable, remarkable experience. And so, so far, we've, we've learned so much about heaven and many of us have thought, well, there's really not much to know about heaven. God doesn't really tell us much about heaven. And we've discovered that that's absolutely not true, that there's a wealth of information in the Bible about what the final kingdom will be like. And it's exciting. And today I want to follow up and finish up the message that we started by talking about the sociological conditions and the spiritual conditions. But I want to pray first and ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Father, I thank you for these men and women and these young people that have gathered because they're hungry and they want to know you. God, they wouldn't be here if they didn't want to come. Well, there might be a couple of people that don't want to be here, got dragged here, but God, we're glad they're here too and I pray that their heart and their attitude would be different by the time they leave. They'd be glad they came because your word will go out with power and accomplish the purpose for which you're sending it. But God, we're glad to be here. We're glad to worship you. God, we're glad to have fellowship and to encourage each other and to pray for each other. Lord, we're glad to carry each other's burdens and rejoice in each other's successes. And Father, we're especially glad to hear your word and to let it transform our lives. And Father, I pray as I share uh, from your word this morning that your, your power would be upon me. And Lord, I'm a weak vessel. God, I'm nothing, but I know that you can use uh, the simple words that you've given me as they're combined with your word, Lord, to bring about transformation, not only in my heart, but in, in other men and women's heart here today. And Lord, we, we're not satisfied with just kind of maintaining until you get here, God. We want to experience the abundant life. We want to advance your kingdom. We want to be warriors. We want to be soldiers, God. We want to be those men and women who are found faithful in your kingdom with the things that you've entrusted to us. And God, the finish line is so very close at hand. We're almost there. And I pray as we discuss heaven this morning that we can blow a little bit of the fog away, a little bit of the haziness away that takes away our motivation. Though we're so close, it sometimes seems so far. And Father, I pray as we discuss and study this topic of heaven that you would highly encourage us, Lord, and that you would motivate us for these final few laps that we run before the end comes. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. One of the things about this new heaven that we'll be enjoying are relationships. A lot of people have thought that when we get to heaven that our relationships are kind of virtually going to be erased and lost and that we, you know, we, we're not going to really, are we going to know family? Are we going to know our spouse? Uh, are we going to have the friends that we've had in the past? And, and in some cases, do we have to have the friends from the, that we had in the past? And do we have to have the same family? You know, is there any way to kind of cut ties, you know, when we make the great leap into the kingdom? You know, we have all of these questions about relationships. And the thing I want to share with you is that God has privileged us to carry with us these relationships that we have on the earth. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a wonderful thing, but they're going to be carried forward without any of the baggage, without any of the heartache, without any of the sense of loss or devastation or wound. And God is going to give us the privilege of having an unbelievable reunion in the kingdom of God when we are finally joined with him and with the saints. That's one of the things I want to talk about first if you're following along in the notes is our relationships with the saints. 
one of the things that we're going to enjoy with the saints of the past, men and women that we've never met, some of, of whom we know from the Bible, some of whom we've read about through uh, biographies or autobiographies of great Christian men and women. But the time is going to come when we're joined with the saints, whether, uh, as we talked about, everyone is going to experience paradise, all of us, because we'll be raptured and we'll be in the kingdom of God prior to the recreation and restoration of planet Earth. After that, then we will be uh, lowered in that great celestial city uh, to planet Earth in the Middle East. It's so exciting to just talk about it, think about it. I'm all excited again as I think about uh, what it's going to be like. But this social relationship and these network and these structures are all going to be maintained and we are going to enjoy some very particular things with the saints of the past. One of the things that we know from Revelation chapter 5 and 7 and 15 and 19 is that we are going to enjoy corporate worship with these saints from the past. And so we're going to be, you know, Moses is right over there and Caleb and King David and, and Mary, the mother of Jesus and Joseph, the father and, and the disciples, and we'll be all scattered around and it's not going to be like a little club with a head table of all these guys and those guys and a clique or anything like that. We're just going to be all in, intermingled with all of these saints from the past and we're going to be worshiping our hearts out in the kingdom of God. And, and we're going to be doing so much more than that as we've talked about uh, in previous weeks, but one of the things that we will be doing is enjoying corporate worship with these saints from the past. We're also going to enjoy fellowship and eating with the saints. And we're told that in Matthew uh, 11, that uh, God says he's gonna draw them from the east and from the west, and they're gonna take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So we're gonna be eating and fellowshipping and vala'awing with these saints from the past. And it's gonna be exciting. One of the things I'll share with you, because we, we talked a little bit about it uh, last week, about this new body that we have, and, and I don't know if you're like me, but I'm 46 now, and I love to eat. I really like it. I mean, I if I could eat, you know, three or four or five meals a day, I would, but I can't anymore, because if I do, it's, you know, I just, I, I'm, I'm having to be more careful. I used to be able to burn all that stuff off in a surf session, and I, it just doesn't go away as easily as it used to. And the one thing I want to tell you that I find extremely exciting about heaven is that we're going to eat to our heart's content, and it's going to be a social event, it's going to be a fellowship event, and we're still going to maintain these perfectly glorified bodies no matter what we do. We can't, we can't, you know, do anything to undo what God has done. And so it's going to be exciting to be able to fellowship and eat. And I'm just hoping that, that you know, God knows about local food. And I think he does. Uh, but I want, I want poo-poos. I don't want the big heavy stuff. I just want lot, little tables of poo-poos, you know, because I really like the small plate. Go like five, six times. And that's all. I don't like all the other stuff. And so I, I'm hoping that the Lord knows uh, like pokey and all that. So anyway, uh, <laughs> So we're going to enjoy this feasting and this fellowshipping and this eating. We're also going to enjoy work on, the, on this new, newly created, renovated, refreshed planet. And um, I'm not going to talk about that now because that's next week's message. But we're going to be doing all of this with these saints from the past who we've never met, we've heard about, and we're going to have fellowship with. What about our relationship with our friends and our family? Well, I believe we're going to experience a glorious reunion with our friends and our family in the kingdom of God. For those saints that have gone on before us, father, mother, sister, brother, uncle, aunt, maybe a child, those uh, who believed in Christ will be in the kingdom of God. In fact, Paul, when he was talking to the church of Thessalonica, made a point to say to the church, don't grieve like the rest of men who grieve. And, and he goes on to say that we have a hope. I don't want you to be ignorant, he says, about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And then he goes to talk about the, the rapture of the church and being caught up together in the air with the Lord, with the saints. And then he says, encourage each other with these words. Well, why is that encouraging? Well, have you ever gone to a class reunion with your spouse and you don't know anybody? And everybody knows them and you're chatting and talking and it's just, you have to kind of gear up for that, right? I mean, it's like, it's a workout, you know? You've got to hang around with 200 people you don't know and, and your spouse barely knows them. You can't recognize any of them. And uh, you, that's you? I can't believe it. What happened to your hair? You know, it's like, um, so you're meeting all these people that you might not even know. And it, it's, there's a lot of energy that goes out trying to meet strangers. And uh, so when you go to an event like that, it's just like you kind of have to emotionally steady yourself. And a lot of times your spouse will say, don't leave me, you know, don't, don't, don't run away. Don't leave me by myself. I don't even know. The, I don't even like these people, you know. And then afterwards, you know, you're never going to see them again. And so there's this, you know, it's almost like, why are we even, even bothering getting to know the pe person's name and what they do and where they live? Because I'm never going to see them again anyway. 
The kingdom of God at this great family reunion will not be like that. This is going to be like meeting the, the friend from high school that you've been looking for for 20 years and you've written emails, you've searched on internet, you've never found them and suddenly at Kukui Grove they got off the ship and you see them shopping at one of the stores and you just blow your mind. Now multiply that by millions, possibly billions of people many of whom you will have personal relationship with. And I believe, as I've stated before, that you're, many of these people you're going to know almost immediately. God is going to give us the capacity to deepen and extend relationship in the kingdom of God. But there is going to be this great reunion with friends and family. And the one thing I want to share with you is I know that, um, that sometimes family reunions aren't the most glorious, wonderful experience. And, and every year you say to yourself as Christmas approaches, maybe this year it'll be different. You know, maybe uncle won't, you know, be drunk. And, and maybe, you know, the, the, the auntie and whoever isn't going to get in the same old fight, you know. And it's not going to be the same old, same old that just ruins the season. And so every year you kind of hope and then every year it's ruined again. And the one thing I want to tell you is that your father, your mother, your family, your grandfather, your grandmother, if they've believed in Christ and are truly born again and truly saved, they will be in the kingdom of heaven. And even if there's been an offense against you, even if there's some you know, weird thing about their personality or some blind spot they never got over all those years, what I want to tell you is that when they're perfected and when they're glorified and redeemed, all that will be gone. And they will be the family that you've always dreamed of. They will be that family reunion that only you could only fantasize about in your mind about what a perfect family reunion would be like. That's what you're going to experience in the kingdom of heaven. And when you experience it, everything that's happened on this planet in terms of disappointment will be washed away by the renewal of God's purpose for family and for your friends. I believe we'll also be reunited with infant children who died. The Bible talks about children who died in Scripture, and I'm going to talk about that for a minute, but the Jews believed that there was an age of accountability. A certain particular time when a child became responsible for the information of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they had enough information and enough understanding of the gospel that now they were accountable for that information, and if they rejected that information, they would be rejected by God. But there is an age before accountability where a child doesn't understand and they don't know the gospel, and they don't even, they can't even talk, or they're, they're young, and they don't, they don't comprehend these things. And the age of accountability has been estimated at all kinds of different ages, but I think it's kind of a, it's a, it's a, it's a scale, somewhere between maybe five and 13 or so, uh, but it, there's some sort of a band in there, and I th actually think it's on the younger side, but people have proposed as, as old as 13. But it's not necessarily a particular age, but it's based on the maturity and the understanding of the individual child. But those children who have not reached that age of accountability, the scripture gives us great hope. And it may be that some uh, here have lost children um, to a miscarriage. And it was just devastating at the time. It's possible, quite possible, that there are quite a few uh, women here who have gone through abortions. Uh, maybe before you were saved or maybe even after you were saved, not fully understanding the consequences and the impact and the, and the, uh, the importance of a child's life. There may be a child that you uh, had that only reached two or three years of age and was in some sort of a tragic accident or, or was poisoned in some way by, you know, getting under the kitchen sink. I want to I give you words of great encouragement and great hope. And I want to take you briefly to 2 Samuel 12 and a, a story about David and Bathsheba. And we know the story. David had sinned with this woman named Bathsheba who was married to another man, Uriah. The product of that union was a child, a young boy. Well, of course, a young boy. All children are... All <laughs> okay. It was a young child. It was a young baby boy. And, um, and so this young boy is born and which I'm doing it again, uh, this baby was born and the Lord came to David and said, because of your sin with Bathsheba, I will not allow this child to live. Part of your punishment, David, is the grief and the consequence of the loss of this child's life. So David fasted and prayed and we know the end of the story, the child died anyway. And then at the end of the time, David said, regarding this child, he said, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. In other words, David's never going to get this child back in this life. But he said, I will go to him, which is a clear reference to the fact that David believed under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that this child would be in the kingdom of heaven and he would one day meet this child again. Let me give you another text 
In uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, uh, we have the record of King Herod slaughtering all the boys that were two years and under in age in order to eradicate the Messiah because he felt threatened uh, as the king of this area. And, uh, and so all these young boys were slaughtered and uh, there was this weeping and this crying that took place because, of course, all of these young children uh, had mothers who were just devastated by the loss of these young boys. And so Jeremiah says something very interesting. It's a predictive prophecy about this particular situation that would occur in Matthew chapter 2. And this is what it says. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. And it's a reference to this brutal attack uh, by the army and by the soldiers of Herod. But this is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears for your work will be rewarded. He's talking about the work of being a mother, the work of producing children. Your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy and so there is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. What's their own land? It's this planet Earth. It's this recreated Earth that God is going to give us. So, so in particular, ladies, but also the men here, envision this child that you've never met. You may never have even seen this child. Might have been a miscarriage. Might have been an abortion. You may have seen this child but never had the chance to actually even see the child walk or talk or grow up, or have their own family. And I've got some great news for you, is that when you get to the kingdom of God, you're going to meet these children. You're going to meet these, these young men and these young women that God gave you the privilege of bringing into the world, as imperfectly as that situation might have been, that they are going to be restored and redeemed to their full, perfect form of what God intended for the glorious work in their life. And when they greet you, there's not going to be any sense of, like, why did you do that to me or anything like that? You will have accomplished, and I know it may not have been to your satisfaction or maybe even the Lord's, but you will have accomplished filling the kingdom of God with one more worshiper for the glory of Christ. And that child is going to glory in you, and you're going to get to know the child that you never knew, the children that you never knew. It's going to be an awesome thing, especially for those who grieve on this earth over the loss of children in this life. And I believe that you will see your children once again. What about our relationship to our spouse? This is kind of a big one because the Sadducees in Luke 20 posed a question to Jesus. And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They, didn't, they believed that once you died, that was it. And that's why they're sad, you see, because there's no hope for anybody like that. And so the Sadducees came to Jesus one day and they said, Jesus, they proposed this really outlandish example. You know, a man marries this, this, um, this woman and then he dies and then, and then she marries the brother and he dies and on goes down for seven cycles. You know, who's going to be whose spouse in the kingdom of heaven? And they thought they really trapped him because, you know, they knew his commitment to the marriage covenant. And so they thought they had him. And Jesus said these words. He says, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age, the one that we're talking about, the new heaven and the new earth, and, and in the resurrection from the dead, will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Now, some of you are thinking, I, I just can't even imagine going to heaven and not being married. I just, I love my spouse so much. And others of you are saying, yeah, you know. And most of us are somewhere in between those two extremes. And a lot of people are really distressed to find out that the Bible says that we're not going to be married in heaven. There's not going to be weddings. There's not going to be uh, marriage. And that the relationship is going to change. And I want to suggest to you that the reason we have such a hard time with this teaching is because we have adopted a very humanistic view of marriage. Humanism at its base core is a philosophy of life that says, Life is about my happiness. When I stop being happy, I got to make a change. That's why we have a divorce rate in the church of 50%. And it's basically the very same as the unbelieving world. Why? Because the church has adopted humanistic philosophy when it comes to marriage. We think to ourselves, well, marriage is about me. Marriage is about happiness and having children and enjoying life. And, and I'm not happy. I'm not enjoying life. Therefore, I'm going to change my circumstances and I want to get out of this situation. 
And as a result, we, we say, I'm not happy, therefore, I'm going to make this decision, even if it contradicts what the Word of God teaches. And that's, that's pure humanism. What, what the Bible says is that life is not about our happiness. Life is about the glory of God. That's ultimately what life is about, is about pleasing God, honoring God, and bringing Him praise and attention that He deserves. So the Christian doesn't say, gee, I don't feel happy, therefore I'm going to disobey God. The Christian says, I don't feel happy, but life isn't about my happiness. Life is about the glory of God, and happiness comes and happiness goes. And so, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the Christian perspective. What was marriage originally intended for? That will help us understand this new dynamic in, in the new kingdom of marriage and the fact that it won't be uh, like it is here on our planet Earth. The primary purpose of marriage was to illustrate this mystical union between Christ and the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, which is often a text for weddings and marriages and things, it talks about the role of the wife and the role of the husband. The, the husband must love his wife as Christ loved the church, and the wife must submit to her husband and must show him respect. We all know those passages. But tucked in there, Paul says, I'm not speaking of marriage. I'm really speaking of Christ and the church. But for the sake of your marriage as well, do these things. But he's really trying to give us a picture of what marriage is really ultimately supposed to point to and represent. Your marriage is essentially a signpost for people around you to know what Christ's love is like for the church and what the church's response to that Christ-like love should be. And so husbands, you are called to love your wife like Christ loves your wife or like Christ loves the church in order that when people see your conduct with your spouse, they are so blown away that they look at you and say, I just never seen a man love his wife like that. What makes you tick? And when women see you, ladies who are married, respecting and honoring and submitting to your husband's leadership, they are so blown away by that. And they say, what is it about you? I mean, I look at your life and it's so attractive and yet you're submitted to your husband. You know, you respect him. You don't talk nasty about him. You don't join in on the criticisms of our husbands when we get together. What, what is it? I, I, I'm, I'm repulsed by the submission part, but I'm drawn to what I see you guys experiencing in your marriage. I've said it before, but one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have an, an evangelism training conference because I've never been to one that, that has done this where they simply teach people how to have a good marriage, and that's the whole tamale. You know, a good marriage is a powerful testimony of Christ. And yet, because of our humanistic thinking, we're, we're not even thinking about evangelism in our marriage. We're not even thinking about the impact it has on the community when we separate or divorce. We're not thinking those things. We're just thinking, I'm not happy anymore. I'm bailing. I'm leaving. I don't deserve this. I don't need this. So one of the primary purposes for marriage is to, is to reveal God revealing through you. He's given you the sacred relationship, the sacred trust, and he says, through you, I want to show the world what my love for the church is like. I want them to see it in flesh and blood. And so do you begin to see the sacredness of marriage and the importance of not, not you know, goofing it up? The importance of men taking leadership spiritually and reading the word to our wife and praying and discipling and encouraging and, and being the one to lead the way to church and in service and in fellowship rather than have the wife kind of have to, you know, be pulling us the whole way. And for women, for you to love and respect and honor your husband. You are such a testimony. A good marriage is, is, speaks volumes about Jesus Christ. The second reason for marriage was procreation. God said in Genesis, in the opening chapters, he says, I want you guys to be fruitful, I want you to multiply, and I want you to fill this place up with more of you, more worshipers. And so God's purpose for marriage is not only to reveal this mystery of Christ in the church, but also to fill heaven, every one of those heavens, but finally the final heaven here on planet Earth with worshipers. So that's part of the purpose. But once we get into heaven and, and all, all is completed, there are no more people coming in. And so no need for procreation. And the third thing is to prepare Christians to comprehend and anticipate the intimacy and joy of relationship with Christ. Is that God has given us in this marriage relationship not only the ability to kind of, you know, hone off the edges and to, to cut off the rough spots that we've got in life. And, and I remember the Lord speaking to me before Becky and I got married and he said, Bob, 
Just in, in my heart as I was praying and the Holy Spirit was speaking, he says, Becky is going to be the most useful tool in bringing about the Christ-likeness that I desire for your life than anything you've ever experienced before. And it's true because I've had to change and Becky's had to change and we've had to submit to each other and to the Lord. We've had to, you know, deal with stuff that nobody ever made us deal with before because we just didn't care that much or could avoid it or we could hide it. But you can't hide in a marriage. And so God has placed this marriage covenant to help us prepare for the ultimate covenant with Christ. And so your marriage, as difficult as it might be and as challenging as it might be, is God-ordained in order to bring out in you the beauty of the resurrected Christ and the nature and the personality and the, and the character of Jesus so that we, you'll be prepared, you'll be a ready bride for the kingdom to come. And so that's the purpose of marriage. But listen to what it says in Psalm 45.10. He says, listen, O daughter, consider and give ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Now, that's a big thing. It may not mean a lot to us in our culture where we forget a lot of things. We just dump relationships. But in that culture, forgetting your family and your father's household was like, you might as well cut your legs off. It just doesn't happen. You don't forget that. That's a real priority. It's important. It's your, it's your sense of destiny. It's your heritage. It's everything that you are. But then he goes on and says, why? He says, because the king is enthralled with your beauty. Honor him for he is your Lord. In other words, the king is enthralled with you. You're going to leave this. Yes, you'll leave this, this household, but you're not going to be abandoned and living on the beach somewhere. You are going to the house of the king because he's enthralled with you. You're moving up. And I would suggest to you that that's what's happening in marriage. If you're worried about marriage, I'm telling you, you're, you're, you're getting ready to move up big time. You're moving up from the relationship that God used as a, as a testing ground, a proving ground, a time for procreation, for filling the kingdom, a time for evidencing and being a signpost, a living example of what Christ is like toward the church. But you're going to move up because the king is enthralled with you. <laughs> Can you believe that? God is enthralled with you, with the, with the bride of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we make up that bride. He's enthralled with you. He's going to bring you home to be with him. And it's going to be a relationship that will, will so far overshadow anything that we've ever had in marriage, it's going to completely blow our mind. Now, what about our spouse? Will we know them? Oh, absolutely. I, I expect that, I told Becky when I, when I was studying this and I was kind of telling her that she says, we're not going to be married. And she knew that scripture, but it's like it was disappointing for her. And, that, and I said, honey, I said, we're not going to be married, which means we're going to start dating again. You know, we're going to, we're going to start all over here, you know? And... Um, I'm kidding because I don't think we're going to be dating either. But the thing I can tell you is that I, I believe Becky's going to be my best friend for all eternity. I'll have a lot of other friends and so will you, but I believe my spouse will be my closest friend in this adventure in the kingdom of heaven. I think we'll be serving together. I think we'll be, uh, I'm hoping she's not, I hope we're next door neighbors. I, maybe she's going to live in the same mansion. I don't know. I don't know what God is going to do, but I know that I'm going to have a, a, a continuity in my relationship with Becky, but it's going to change. And we're all going to be joined to the king who is enthralled with us. What about our relationships with angels? Well, the Bible tells us in Matthew 18.10 that, that all of us have angels. I don't know if you know that. But all of us have angels that have been kind of assigned to us. Uh, mine has been very busy when I was a young boy. I'm sure some of you had very busy angels. And they're like, you know, give me somebody easier. How about a girl, you know? And, um, but we have angels. Uh, they're sent to serve those, according to Hebrews chapter uh, 1, verse 14, to serve those who will inherit salvation. But here's the crazy thing. is The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 that angels in the kingdom to come will be submitted to our authority and we will be the ones judging angels. So these very powerful creatures, these creations of God, who are now serving us and protecting us, I'm telling you, they're going to have stories. I believe that uh, possibly our angels will be like tour guides for us. They'll be like our personal bodyguard, confidant. Come on over here, angel. Help me with this, you know. Help me. Could you help me with this? And they're going to be telling us the stories. You remember the time when you got, you know, you, th you, you just thought you were just so agile for having avoided that truck that was driving on the road when you were on that bike race or whatever, and, and how you just, I, there was one time I was driving my van, and I was in, in Honolulu on Kiyomoku, and I was driving and I was probably going too fast and it was traffic hour and nobody was in the right lane. I couldn't figure out why and everybody was basically stopped and I was going like 40 miles an hour in this lane and it's, you know, six lanes wide and everything. So I'm going along and, and all of a sudden, you know, this woman steps right out in front of my car that I couldn't see 
And, uh, and I had to hop up. There was, I, it was right in an intersection. I don't know why I'm telling you this story. Uh, and it was right in an intersection. And I, and I got between the light post and the, 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 uh, the, the sidewalk sign for, you know, push the button and you can cross the, cross the sidewalk. And it went right between this, probably with about this much room on both sides of my van. Hopped the curb. I was up on the sidewalk and I jumped back off onto the, to the road and I just sat there in my car, slammed the brakes on. And then I heard people honking their horns and clapping because they saw this event happen. And I thought to myself at the time, I thought, I thought man, I'm good, you know? <laughs> And now, but I really think, to be honest with you, when it all comes down to, the, to, the, to my little angel story, he's going to say, you were such a boob, I can't believe. Number one, what were you doing driving that fast? <laughs> you idiot. But, but beyond that is like, I really believe that angels are protecting us, watching over. I, we're going to get to hear all the stories and all of these pieces, these strands of information that we've, we've never known are going to come together and we're going to say, you were there then? You did what? And who was involved? And we're going to go down this line and our praise for God is going to be explosive because we're going to see the hand of God, even at the youngest days of our life, was there with us. The king was enthralled with us even then and was preparing our way to be with him. What about our relationship with God? Well, the Bible tells us that we're going to have relationship with God. We're actually going to see God. That's something that the Old Testament saints weren't permitted to experience. Moses, in the book of Exodus chapter 33, it tells us, wasn't permitted to see God. He asked to see God, but God says, I can't let you see me in my full glory. You'll, You'll just vaporize. You cannot see me in my glory. And so he said, I want you to stand here. And he put him in the cleft of a rock and he passed by. And just the vestige of of Jesus' appearance, of of God's appearance going by, set Moses' face aglow to such a degree that the people, when he came down the hill, couldn't even look at him. And he had to wear a veil to cover his face. We know from uh, from Paul's writings as well that uh, in 1 Timothy 6.16 that God lives in, in inapproachable light. No one has ever seen God. And the question is, why haven't we seen him? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly in Hebrews 12, 14 that without holiness, no one can see the Lord. So until a man or woman is absolutely pure and holy, without fault, without sin, absolutely righteous, they are not capable of seeing God because God, God's very presence burns away sin. And so if right now we were to see the holiness of God, there is just, even though we're pursuing God, we're not doing it perfectly. And even though we want God and we're passionate for God, we still stumble and fall and sometimes willfully so. And, and whatever part of us or whatever part of our heart or our mind or whatever was, was sinning at the time that we saw God, that would immediately be vaporized and burned away. And I really don't think there'd be much left, to be honest with you. And so the Bible, that's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. God is going to make you pure. You are going to be completely clean You are going to be absolutely righteous. The Bible tells us in Revelation 22, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, that the saints will see his face. I can't wait. And it's not going to hurt us. We're not going to be damaged. We're just going to completely soak in the glory of the king who's enthralled with us. The Bible also tells us that we'll dwell with God. Ezekiel 37 27, my dwelling place will be with them, the Lord says, and I will be their God and they will be my people. And in Revelation, that prophecy, chapter 21, verse 3, will be fulfilled on the new heaven and the new earth where the Bible says that, um, that God will make his dwelling with them and he will live with them. They will be his people and he himself will be with them and be their God. It's the ultimate thing. We're going to be in the presence, dwelling with God. The Bible also tells us, as I have already uh, inferred during my talk about marriage, is that God is saying that we are going to be married to him. That Jesus Christ is the groom and we're the bride in waiting. We're preparing ourselves for this eventuality that we're told about in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. I like what Isaiah says in, in in prophecy, chapter 54, verse 5. It says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. And that's why Paul, when he was writing the Corinthian church, who, to be honest with you, the Corinthian church was a very carnal church. The Corinthian church was very humanistic. They thought it was about their happiness. They got all excited about the gifts of the Holy Spirit because it made them excited, not necessarily because it advanced the cause of Christ. But Paul wrote this very carnal church. They're believers, 
but they were very driven by their own passions and by their own desires and lusts and things. And Paul says to them, uh, kind of a word of rebuke, and he says, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Jesus is looking for a pure virgin. We live in a culture where there's so much immorality that very few people even expect to get married to a virgin anymore. There's already been five people, five guys, you know, ten women before you came along. But God's plan is for a man and a woman to come together for the first time, never having been with anyone else. I like the abstinence courses that they teach in the high schools now, and they kind of have a, a, a second-round virgin uh, opportunity in the sense that people, women and men, make a commitment that though they may not have been a virgin and may not be a virgin now, that from this point on until they meet their spouse and are married, they will covenant to remain pure before God. And the thing that I think I want to share with you about this whole issue of the purity that God is looking for in our lives is that we may not have gotten it all right, not just even from a physical standpoint of, of sexual immorality, but even from a spiritual standpoint that we're kind of here, we're kind of there, we believe a little bit of this. When God speaks to us real clearly about his word and somebody shares it with us, we're like, mm, I don't really like that. I like the other stuff Jesus says, the love and the compassion and the goodness and the faithfulness, but that's, hard, that's a hard word you're telling me, and I don't really think I'm going to do anything about that particular one. And so by doing that, in essence, we're rejecting this headship of Christ, and, and we're, we're giving ourselves to another lover, another spiritual love, and it happens to be us, what we want to do. And so we commit spiritual adultery in a variety of ways, and, and by doing so, God has promised us to himself, to his son, and he wants us to be set apart just for him. And so I want to encourage you, church, and my friends, I love you guys so much. You're my brothers and my sisters, and we're fellow journeyers on this great adventure of Christ and, and the kingdom of God. I want to encourage you, if there's anything that has pulled you, a house, a car, even your own family can become a God over Jesus Christ or your own concern for your success or for your elevation or being seen as someone important in this community. I want to encourage you to lay it down because God doesn't want that. He wants a pure virgin, one that has eyes only for him. Imagine if you were about to get married and you found out that you're, the girl you're going to marry still loves about six other guys and can't decide which one, but the wedding's set and she's just going to try to figure it out the day before. I mean, can you imagine? Or the man doing that and, and going out with some old girlfriends the night before the wedding. I mean, it's just like, wedding's off, right? That's it. Nobody wants to marry somebody like that. Church, we are this close to the kingdom. We are this, the marriage supper of the Lamb is being prepared. The wedding is going to take place. What kind of people should we be? We should be giving ourselves totally to Christ. What is a, what is a bride doing in the weeks prior to the wedding and the months prior to the wedding. Planning. It's like myopic. You know, we got this, we got this, I got the phone calls, I got the book, you know, we're going down the list, you know, getting all your friends, you got to help me. Hey, you owe me. You've got to help me. You've got to be there on this day. I need you to go get the dresses. I need you to get this. She's calling the caterer. The guy's doing the same thing. They're all working together. What for? For this wedding that's coming. Everything else is second. They still go to their work. They still do the things they need to do. The, the lawn still gets cut, but the focus is on the wedding. I believe that that is the heart of the church as God would want it to be. We're doing the other things, but our passion is the wedding supper of the Lamb and the union with Christ and this great and glorious day that's so very, very close. And so I want to encourage you to set your heart aside for the King of Kings. He's enthralled with you. He's enthralled with you. What an unbelievable privilege that God and Jesus Christ, his son, the groom, that they are enthralled with us. What are the spiritual conditions going to be on the new heaven and the new earth? I'm going to go through this fairly briefly, but in the first two chapters of Genesis, God presents his original plan, and there are four benefits or four primary gifts that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. The first was eternal life. They would have never died if they hadn't sinned. Secondly, they were given a righteous and sinless and guilt-free standing before God. The third thing is that they had home with God. God dwelt among them. And the fourth thing is that they were given dominion over all the earth. Each one of these benefits was forfeited 
when Adam and Eve chose to sin and disobey God. But in the last three chapters of the book of the Bible, in Genesis, every one of these glorious gifts and benefits are redeemed and restored for the church. The first is that our pre-fall life, Adam and Eve, they forfeited these benefits of eternal life, but we are told that in the future life, we will have a, a pre-fall conscience that will be free of guilt or shame. We're going to have pre-fall fellowship with God, meaning that we're going to have access to him as he walked with, the, with, the, uh, with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. We will have pre-fall freedom from sin's consequences, so there'll be no more hunger or thirst, no more tears or sorrow, no more death or mourning or crying or pain. There'll be no more curse. There'll be no more wickedness and no more wicked people to deal with. It will all be over. We will also have pre-fall joy and contentment. Listen to what Isaiah 51 says about joy. You know, a lot of the things, to be honest with you, that we want in life is we really want joy. We, there's nothing wrong with being happy, but happiness is, is, it fluctuates. But to be filled with joy is something that every believer desires. We want to enjoy life. We want to have joy. We want to experience the abundant life. Listen to what Isaiah 51 says, verse 11. The ransomed of the Lord, in other words, those that are redeemed, bought back, will return. They're going to return. We're going to return to this planet. They will enter Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem, which is the celestial city as well. They're going to enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy, listen to this, it will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I like this. I, I, I think of us running in joy in our walk with God, running and, and we're running as fast as we can in this intense joy for the Lord and we get rolled over by more joy. It just overtakes us. We can't, we can't even absorb the joy that we're going to experience. We can't even fully comprehend it or fathom it. And as we're just trying to get the outer fringes of, of this intense joy and pleasure in life, we're going to be rolled over with another wave of it that's going to be more intense than the first. And it's going to be like that for all eternity. You will never get bored. You will never be like, like you know, when we used to drink or do drugs or whatever. It's like, oh, I need a little bit more this time. You know, that wasn't enough. It's not like that. You're going to experience joy in, in, in increasing intensity in our walk with God. It will overtake you in its power. The Bible also tells us that we'll be returned to our pre-fall righteousness. Adam and Eve forfeited the sinless life. They gave it up and they, they were plagued by guilt and bad conscience and the fruit just poured out and poured out. It's been pouring out for 6,000 years plus. But 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 tells us, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So that third gift, the righteous life, or the second gift, the righteous life is going to be restored to us. The third, the pre-fall home is going to be restored. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. We've never experienced the garden life. We've got a, a, a vague, dim, diminished, fallen picture of it here on earth, but it's nothing close to what the garden was like. But in Mark 10, verse 29, Jesus was talking about heaven and earth, and he said, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes and sisters and brothers and children and fields with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. We are going to be restored, my friends, to God's original intent and then some on a redeemed and refreshed and renewed planet Earth. And the final thing I'll mention is that we are going to be restored to our pre-fall dominion. Adam and Eve were given responsibility for this entire planet. They were responsible for the animals. They were responsible for the fish, for the birds, everything. They had dominion. We talked about animal life last week. It's pretty exciting. But we talked about it, but we're, they were given dominion over all of this in such a way that was so much more significant. We sense dominion now. I mean, you can herd a, our goats on the property or the cows or whatever, but that's, that's not the dominion that they had. They had something far better, far more significant than simply being able to herd them. They were ruling over them in a very powerful and godlike, God-ordained as ambassadors of God way. And God is going to restore us to that life again. In the, in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, he says, I want you to rule over all of these things, subdue them, and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the earth. That was man's destiny to, to have dominion. 
Listen to Revelation 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. It's referring to Christ the Lamb because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. You may think to yourself, I'm not very important in life. I don't even manage anybody. I just show up and do my job and that I'm not overseeing hundreds of people. You know, I'm, I don't have a big company. I don't do this, I don't do that. Well, get ready. Because you are going to be ruling and reigning. And the rule and reign that God will give you will be in many ways dependent on your faithful service to him here. And we'll talk about that next week, about the reward and about what God has planned for you. But I want to close by just encouraging you that we have a glorious heritage that's awaiting us and we need to get ready. The time for putting Christ off, the time for having other loves in our life besides Jesus is over. Now is the time to serve. Now is the time to get serious in our walk with God. Now is the time to put away sin. Now is the time to shake off the sin that so easily entangles and run with endurance the race that's marked out for us. We have a job to do. We have a kingdom to advance in the name of Jesus Christ. There are people that need to hear the message of Christ, not only of deliverance from sin, but of this future glorious kingdom that's coming. They need to hear it so that they can look forward to it, so that they can endure and persevere in a life that's very difficult to live at times. They need you to speak. God has sent you. He has commissioned us as a church, and you are doing it. And people are coming into this church. We have more people every week, and God is working. People are coming to Christ. They're getting saved. And I want to say thank you for your faithfulness. Now, let's step it up and give ourselves even more fully to Christ in these final days. The abundant life awaits you. Father, we thank you for our time this morning and just so grateful to know you, Lord. These things, even though I've studied them and been thinking about them for months and months, and in some cases years, I still can't get my arms around this. I still can't even fathom that you're enthralled with us. Lord, sometimes, a lot of times I don't even like myself. And we have a tendency to love ourselves. And I think, how could you love me? But because of the work of Christ, you have made us clean. You have made us righteous. We've been justified. We've been set apart for you. And Father, I have been unfaithful at times in my life and I confess and renounce that. I want to be set apart only for you only for you. And I pray, Father, for my friends here this morning that there would be no other love in our life. Even our spouse would come a distant second to you. Our children, our company, our business, our hobbies. That we would return to our first love and that we would do the things that we did at first when we first fell in love with you. And the gospel was so fresh and new and vibrant. Lord, return us to that place and let us walk in the abundant life that you've promised. We don't want to live a boring Christian life. There's not time to live that and nobody's interested in living that. Help us to step up, God, not to our own strength, but to step up to the cross and to fall on our face and say, God, help us and forgive us and fill us and use us and advance your cause in these final days through your church, your glorious, glorious bride. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.